Brazil, for instance, which has, you know, become a huge driving force in terms of production globally. You know, every year they seem to have bigger and bigger production. You would wonder at, at what cost in terms of, you know, deforestation perhaps, but they still keep coming out with bigger crops year on year. I mean, huge compared to where we were sort of 20, say 20 years ago. You know, Brazil has become a real monster when it comes to, to production of corn and soybeans in particular. Selling what's grown on tillage farms is perhaps more important than buying the inputs. All farmers would take note of price dips and rises, but it's just a matter of timing when you as a farmer decide to act on the change from reality. The majority of Irish tillage farmers are price takers at harvest, and this is unlikely to change this year. A few farmers study the markets and sell throughout the year. Do you know where the markets are now? You are listening to the latest episode of The Tillage Edge with me, Michael Hennessy. We'd really appreciate it if you could listen, follow and give us a review on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. Changes to grain markets is generally dictated by sentiment over the latest set of figures predicting planting, harvesting and yield, all of which drives the markets one way or the other until the harvest tonnage is delivered. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Phelan Dolan, a grain trader from Comex McKinnon, to discuss where markets are now and what are the drivers for the next few months. Phelan, the last time we spoke, the Ukrainian war and the Black Sea grain was a major driver in the market. Is that as much of a driver at the moment? Well, look, Michael, I'd say overall, you know, war and geopolitics continue to drive markets. Um, But I would say at the same time, you know, we're kind of nearly two years into this conflict in the Black Sea. And I would say the market... it's not front and center any longer the way it was, you know, uh, when it first took off. Um, I would say the market has sort of adapted around that issue. Um, I would also say that the logistics in terms of grain, you know, traveling out of that region have adapted as well. So it's not the driving force in terms of, you know, day-to-day market movement that it would have been back in, what was it, February 22, I think. Um, So, you know, while it is a driver and it's still bothering the market and it's still, you know, there's certain what we call a risk premium uh, still built into grain prices on the back of the fact that that war is still ongoing. It's not something that, you know, is, is, as I said, front and center of the day-to-day conversations you'd be having when it comes to, you know, pricing grain. Okay, but I suppose in saying that, there still is a lot of grain produced in that region in 23, and there's still perhaps a lot of that grain still to be exported from there, is there? Yeah, look, I mean, sure, look, the 23 harvest is not that long ago, and and in terms of Ukraine and and Russia, you know, two quite big harvests. Um, But look, for the most part, the grain is finding a way out. you know, there's a lot of grain traveling north out of Ukraine up to the Baltic via Poland, particularly. Um, quite a lot of Ukrainian maize has been shipped out of Poland, I would say, in the last month, six weeks. Um, there's wheat coming out of that part of the world as well. And, and look, a lot of grain coming out of other Black Sea ports. You know, Ukrainians are still shipping out of their own ports, both in the Odessa area and also on the River Danube. And there's quite a lot of Ukrainian grain finding its way out of the Romanian Black Sea from from the port of uh, Costanza, which is quite a big uh, port in that region. So, look, I suppose markets 
find a way. Um, and ultimately, the grain is there. It's being grown. It has to find a way to the market somehow. And I suppose in, in, in that kind of vein, thinking about some of the other major producers out there, we might maybe touch upon some of them there along the way in terms of how the harvest went and, and maybe we'll get the plantings in a minute. But in terms of the volumes of grain out there, USA is obviously the first one people would immediately think about. They had a reasonable harvest this year, a reasonably good harvest, I think, this year, did they? I, I would say overall they've had a good harvest. You know, I mean, in terms of corn or maize, which is the single biggest crop grown, it's it's look looks like it's going to be a record crop, despite, you know, probably not ideal weather. Um, you know, certain parts of the corn belt in the States this year were stressed by by dry weather. But from what we can gather at this stage in December, and I wouldn't say the final count is done yet, but but it does look as if the USA itself has had a record corn crop. Um, you know, I would say they've had an adequate wheat crop. Um, and, you know, soybeans probably reasonably good as well. Um, so overall, look, I would say USA probably better than average crop overall. And of which is which is strange because I, I don't know, I've been hearing about the record crop coming out of uh, the USA for I don't know how many years now. It seems to be breaking records every other year in terms of overall production. It's Yeah, well, look, I think in general, you can say that for sort of many parts of the world, really. I mean, look at Brazil, for instance, which has, you know, become a huge driving force in terms of production globally. You know, every year they seem to have bigger and bigger production. Um, you would wonder at, at what cost in terms of, you know, deforestation perhaps, but they still keep coming out with, you know, bigger crops year on year. Um, did, I see somewhere, did I see somewhere, Philip, that they're after overtaking the United States in terms of one of the biggest exporters now? At the yeah, moment? they have. They absolutely have. That's a that's a big thing, big change. Huge, yeah. I mean, huge compared to where we were sort of 20, say 20 years ago. Um you know, Brazil has become a real monster when it comes to to production of corn and soybeans in particular. Um, but look, the USA, I would say, look, the reality is that that seed technology, I would say in particular, you know, has transformed the landscape in the US. Like every year there, there are new GMO varieties coming out there, um, better farming practices perhaps as well. And yeah, look, the yields the yield potential for, for the crop just seems to grow and grow. It's not that there's new acres coming online because there isn't in, in a mature agricultural economy like the US, but, you know, the average yields or the yield potential every year is increasing. And it's it's quite phenomenal, actually, because I, I always would have thought in American terms of, of, of corn yields, well, they're maybe as good as us, but she's they're powering way ahead of us. Like six tons to the acre is not uncommon at all in some of the Iowa's of, this, of, of the United States, I believe. No, phenomenal. Like you know, I mean, despite quite extensive, you know, practices in the sense of of the huge acres that they're growing, mm. like their wheat, their wheat volumes, for instance, wouldn't be or the wheat yields wouldn't be a fraction of what they are here. But in terms of what they can grow for corn, it is quite phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, it's huge. And going back down, maybe back down towards South America, then uh, we talked about Brazil, which they've done fierce well, and the other big powerhouse there, I suppose, is Argentina. Um, they. They haven't done as well, I don't think, this year. And with a change of government, is that likely to mean they, there's they're, they're changed market conditions down there in terms of a free-for-all nearly, is there? Well, look, I'd challenge anyone to to give you a um, definitive picture on what's going to happen politically in Argentina with the new, um, you know, with the new uh, incoming president and, and you know, I suppose the, the economic 
chaos that they've been going through down there for, for decades now. Um, look, what we can say for sure is that last year they had quite extensive drought. Um, their production of both wheat and, and soya and indeed maize would have been well down on you know historical averages. Um, but for the year ahead into 2024, um, I suppose the picture in South America in a snapshot would be reduced production in Brazil because of dry weather. Um, but increased production in Argentina because the, the drought in Argentina seems to be coming to an end. Um, and I would say, look, in very round numbers, we'd expect one to kind of largely offset the other. So probably in terms of South America as a whole, and it's really only Brazil and Argentina that count in terms of exporting potential. In terms of the exporting potential of South America, I would say, you know, it's likely to be largely much the same in 24 as it was in 23. And the other two, just to touch on, is is Australia, which I think are going through a tricky time. And the final one I just wanted to maybe you might touch on is China, because that's obviously the big buyer out there in the markets for the most part. Yeah, and in, in reality, you know, China is also the biggest producer of, of a lot of these things. It's just that their, their produce doesn't come, you know, doesn't come out into the wider market. But they are themselves huge producers of corn and, and wheat uh, and mm. soya. Um, but obviously, you know, huge importers as well. Um, look, starting with Australia, um, last year, Australia would have had, to my, off the top of my head, I would say record production um, of pretty much every agricultural commodity that they produced because they had a wetter than average uh, year. And as the old saying goes, rain makes grain, um, particularly in dryland farming areas like Australia. Um, this year for 24, um, the numbers would be expected to be much more back to the sort of average type of number. Um, now, I could be wrong about this, but I'll, I'll just pick two figures. I would say last year, Australia probably produced about 35 million tonnes of wheat. This year, it's more likely to be somewhere around, or, no, sorry, this year, 2024, it's more likely to be about 25 million, so back to a normal harvest for them. But I suppose one of the things you have to consider with Australia is they wouldn't have had the wherewithal to export all that they produced last year in the calendar year. So there would have been, there will be a carryover from this year into next, so still quite adequate exportable surpluses in Australia in 24. And in China then, they're still, they, they had a reasonable harvest today and they're still buying strong? Well, look, the reality in China is that it's ultimately very hard to know when you're looking from the outside in because, you know, the figures are the figures. They're what the powers that be in China choose to tell the rest of the world and we can only take them at face value. But yes, I mean, China, on the face of it, has had quite a good year of production despite looking from the outside in, you know, several episodes of quite troublesome weather. But look, they're still the biggest importers of pretty much everything in terms of agricultural mm -hmm. commodities. Um, but, sure. you know, it was longer term, you have to be, well, I think the world, in fairness, has to be somewhat concerned about the situation in China with, you know, significant structural issues in their economy, aging population, a lot of private debt, a property bubble that, Again, the powers that be can do their best to sort of 
limit the impact of, but can they control it entirely? It's very questionable. So I don't think the world can take for granted that China is going to be this sort of engine for consumption in the future that, that they have been over the last 30 odd years. I did see something like that about uh, about their population, right? That they're, they're, they're nearly reached, reaching their decline, I suppose, at, at this stage. So it's... Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and I suppose what are the, what, what effects will that have on, on the wider world? You mm. know, I think it's, it's going to be an interesting next 10 or 20 years in China for those of us that will still be around to see it. They talk a lot about, uh, Philip, a lot about the stocks to use ratio um, and, and they trigger, I suppose, a lot of discussion where they're low um, and maybe perhaps when they're high as well, maybe not talked about as much. You might just explain to everyone what stocks to ratio actually means, I suppose, on one side of it. And then is there a... What are they looking like, I suppose, this year? And is that good or bad? I suppose it's a particular question. Well, I suppose good or bad, I suppose, depends on whether you want the price to go up or to go down. <laughs> I suppose um, for everyone listening to want to go up. <laughs> you know, whether you're, a, whether you're a buyer or a seller. Yes. Um, look, stocks to use ratio in very simple terms is, I suppose, if you take the closing stock at the end of a crop year, um, and if you had no harvest to follow, how long would that stock keep you going in terms of what, what I suppose, percentage of the year? would it keep you going? So, you know, if you've got 25 to 30% stock to use, that's probably reasonably comfortable. And that means you could go for a quarter of the year. You know, it's basically a quarter of the year's or a third of the year's production. Um, in, in, in simple terms, that's what it is. And I suppose, look, there's various, I suppose you can look at the number in various ways, you know, but I suppose the important thing in general for the market is, um, what are the stocks in the countries that can export? Um, and that's what really keeps the, um, you know, sets prices off. You know, if we cast our mind back to 2007, 2008, when Russia banned wheat exports, um, you know, that drove the market scatty at the time um, because one of the biggest, if not the biggest exporter of wheat in the world at the time basically pulled the shutters down. Um Something similar happened, obviously, in, in Ukraine, the Black Sea, in February 22. Um, you know, significant export are taken out of the market for a period of time, and, and we can all remember what happened to prices over that period. Um, so the key is really what, I suppose, what stocks are in the major exporting nations. Um, and look, at the moment, I would say, in general terms, stocks are not high, but not worryingly low either. They're probably a little bit in no man's land. Um, I would say there's plenty of corn in the world. Um, stock to use number on, on wheat is probably a little bit tighter. Um, but overall, no real significant concerns at this point in time. And I think that's probably reflected in the market as well. Is that probably why the market has been kind of bouncing around pretty much around the same kind of values for the last kind of two or three months? Yeah, you know, and like, yeah, yeah. Well, well, there's been day-to-day -day and week-to-week -week kind of noise in the market that will move it up five or six quid or maybe a tenner one week and then it'll drift back down again. Like really, for the last three or four months, that's really kind of all that's been happening. We've been trading in a range, you know, where the markets have gone up and down for sure, and sometimes, you know, up and down in reasonably sort of decent moves, but ultimately going sort of sideways to probably slightly downwards. 
you know, if you look at the charts of the major yep. sort of grains, you know, there, while there is this, a day-to-day -day volatility and little issues, you know, here and there, or the market might get a fright if a bomb drops some in a port in Ukraine, might drive it up seven or eight quid one day. The market just seems to digest that kind of news or that kind of fright fairly quickly and sort of just revert back to type. And you could really say since, I suppose, August, you know, the market has been sort of just drifting gradually lower you know not 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 rapidly or you know alarmingly any day or week but it has been a kind of a drip drip effect and it's just been kind of gradually slipping down and is that is that something similar failing with the forward prices for all of it for may or even next november yeah well look i suppose may is 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 still crop 23 um so i suppose look at this point in time there's still a carry uh, you know, if you want to buy or sell grain to next May, there is a, a carry out of the nearby, you know. But the new crop at this point in time is is still a, a premium, um, I would say because of the fact that, you know, winter plantings in general, certainly in Europe, haven't been a wonderful success. And obviously, we're not into the spring planting period yet. Um, so, yeah, new crop at this point in time is a premium to old crop, but it's kind of academic, Michael, in the sense that, you know, nobody's selling it anyway. You know, people will look at the market and look at the carry forward and maybe take comfort that, you know, the price will be better further forward, but it's kind of only better further forward if you choose to sell some of it and lock it in. You know, if the price, I suppose there's a saying like the rising tide lifts all boats and, and the falling tide drops them. Um, well, you know, the new crop and the old crop, while there's a spread between the two and the new crop is a premium at this point in time, if the market is falling, the market is falling in the old crop and the new crop at the same time, you know. And in terms of uh, the, the merchants, uh, merchants bought a lot of grain, obviously, at, at, at harvest. And as you said, the, 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 the market has slipped a little bit in the meantime. Uh, how, what sort of position are they in in terms of value of what they have in their store are they sitting on reasonable losses do you think or have most of it's forward sold to local buyers beforehand or what way are they no i would say in general look first things first in general there was very little irish grain forward sold this year and um, i would say for certain in our business we never had less irish grain bought forward than this year you know, it was unusually low the volume of grain that was bought, was 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 sold forward in advance of the harvest this year, and for the most part, okay, the, the crop twenty three is not a harvest that any or many farmers at least are going to look back fondly on in terms of the weather or the yields that resulted. But I, I don't think too many grain merchants will look back fondly on it either, because again, you know, a bit similar to last year. You know, a price was paid at, at a green price was paid at harvest time that probably in the context of the wider market was generous enough. Um mightn't appear that way to to some people, but in terms of as I said, the wider market was definitely generous enough. And look, in reality, very little has been sold forward since. Um so yes, people are sitting on on losses for certain. 
And, and 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 on the other side of that, then Phelan, in terms of the, the 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 local buyers of grain, the compounders, if you like, or the feed the feeders, if you like, are how are their positions? Are they covered out fairly well, or is there still a bit of a gap there? Ah, look, there's always gaps, but but I would say by and large, you know, mills are pretty well covered this side of Christmas, and probably pretty well covered this side of the end of January. Um, but look, there will be gaps from February onwards. I would say in general terms, the monogastric type mills in the pig and the poultry feed producers are fairly well covered out to April. The ruminant mills, I would say, less so. So I would say February, April, there are still still gaps for, for certain. And I don't really sense that there'll be much of an appetite this side of Christmas for them to be doing very much. January will potentially be an interesting month, maybe. And just think a little bit about, I suppose, the compounders and the more the end market kind of kind of end of it. There seems to be quite a lot of talk about you know sustainability, the carbon content or the carbon burn, if you like, for for every ton of grain. What's the pressure like in terms of the international trade? In terms of that, is it is it something that's nice to know, or is it something that's been taken kind of seriously that there's something needs to change or we need to do more about it, maybe? It's a it's a difficult question to to answer. I would say it is something that people are talking about. I think ultimately the biggest problem that we have in this whole area is, you know, in terms of sustainability. Like it's a word that's used very widely, but it means different things to to different people, and you know. I suppose, what is sustainable? You know, that's a debate all by itself. And if we're looking, what what I would say about it is, and look, at the end of the day, everyone has their own opinions, but sustainability is all very well, and it's it's interesting to talk about and, and debate and whatever else. But people go very quiet when you ask, well, who's going to pay for it? You know, and I think that's the big problem with all of this talk about sustainability and carbon sequestration and all of these things that, you know, are interesting and should be, you know, an avenue perhaps for farmers to generate income, particularly in places like Ireland and in Western Europe, where there should be companies and corporations that are prepared to shell out for the privilege of sustainability. But I still haven't seen anyone really come forward with a plan to say, right, we'll pay this for this service. And ultimately, you know, how does the farmer monetize this? I don't see those solutions coming forward yet. Yeah, it's kind of worrying, I suppose, given the fact that um, like we've done a little bit of work only recently on that. And it looks like, you know, the Irish grain production is maybe two thirds or maybe even a half of, of, of our, our continental neighbours, never mind what's coming across from the likes of uh, South America. But and, and there's a possibility of I think at least anyway, some of our tillage growers here producing for, I suppose, either very low carbon or almost net zero carbon. Um, but you don't think that that's all well and fine, but there's just no one going to pay for it? Well, I won't say that there's no one going to pay for it. I'm just saying that at this point in time, it's not evident who will. Mm. Um, but look, I, we're involved also in, in I suppose, uh regenerative agriculture project to, together with Diageo and, and, and Cooney Furlong. And, you know, mintill, you know, cover crops, all of these things are, you know, potentially 
excellent in terms of, of tools and in terms of soil health and ultimately you would hope will be a benefit to the farmer. But, you know, and I think in the long run, they will be in terms of reduced reliance on artificial fertilizers, etc. I think that of itself is, is a really good thing. And if it in the long run helps the farmer to grow more efficiently and bring his cost base down, you know, that of itself is, is worthwhile. I would still like to see, and I think it's inevitable, inevitable going forward that if people want grain grown regeneratively, there will have to be, you know, a clear premium paid for that. And I think it will inevitably happen. It's just a question of, of when. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a tricky one. And I'd be the same as you. I'd be, um, I, I'm looking around to see what, who's going to come up with the goods, but nothing so far. I might just bring you back just a little bit, uh, Phelan, and we might just finish off on this question here and bring it back. We started with Russia, so we might finish with Russia. Um, there's an awful lot of talk about the sanctions that were imposed onto Russia um, and increasing sanctions over time. D- do you think that they'll, that'll have any impact in terms of their ability to produce grain, whether that's less parts for machines or no ag chems or you know stuff that's going to affect the agricultural production for 2024? I don't think it will in a significant way in 2024. I think there is... Look, up to now, it hasn't, at least anyway. You know, they had excellent harvests. Again, insofar as we can tell from the outside looking in, um, you know, very big harvest in 2023. Um, Winter planting seemed to have gone, you know, pretty well uh, in the areas that grow winter grain. Um, I think the potential exists for quite a big crop out of Russia again, or a relatively similar crop at least, weather permitting in 2024 as in 2023. But look, I suppose, Michael, we can't know, you know, the future in the sense that if this war continues to go on, will sanctions be ratcheted even higher? You know, I don't think there's a a will out there politically in the world to, you know, hinder Russian agricultural exports, because ultimately that will increase the price of food globally, potentially increasing hunger in, in the hungry parts of the world. And I, I just don't see that being politically palatable or morally right. Um, so I, I don't think that at this point in time, if the situation stays as it is and, and there's no you know, further increased sanctions as such, I, I, I don't see that. Look, I, I think in the long run, the world needs Russian agricultural exports like it or not, it is the big supplier of grain, you know, to North Africa, the Middle East, uh, areas that are, you know, the big importers of, of, of food, wheat, and anything that leads to higher food prices in those parts of the world ultimately increases political instability. And I think we have enough political instability in the world in 2023 without seeking to increase it in 2024. Absolutely. So from what I'm hearing from you, Phelan, is that um, if I'm if I'm paraphrasing and getting it right, there seems to be plenty of grain in the world, or certainly enough at least anyways, there seems to be a reasonably good prospects for next year and no huge, nothing particularly on, on, on the on a horizon that's going to lead to a price jump uh, necessarily. So, uh, but maybe a, a, an ease in back of prices more so than anything else, if that's sums sums it up to a degree. Look, at the end of the day, 
every year that passes, weather is becoming increasingly unpredictable. You know, who would have foreseen, I suppose, the weather we had here in northwestern Europe uh, this year versus the summers that, that you know, preceded it. Um, I think bad weather in some part of the world can nearly be counted on these days. Um, so there is a risk to production in terms of weather. That, that risk will always be there. But that's not today's problem. You know, it's it's a potential problem down the line come February, March, April. Spring planting is the next critical period. What will the weather be like then? And look, at the moment, I would say, given reasonably stable production, I think the outlook for prices in, in a world where... I suppose demand is more at question. You know, is there a recession looming globally? It certainly feels like it in some ways. Look at the price of crude oil. You know, despite OPEC tightening supplies sort of month on month, the price of crude oil continues to fall. That doesn't point towards a sort of a greedy global global economy. So look, Demand for food is, is is not going to fall out of bed. I mean, people need to eat. But, you know, in, in belt-tightening times, if I can put it that way, they eat differently in different parts of the world. And we talked about China earlier. You know, is, is China going to have the appetite over the next five to ten years for the volumes of, well, we're talking about grain, so let's say grain, that they have done with, you know, a, a declining population an aging population, you know, biofuels, another thing that we didn't really touch on, you know, and I just throw it out there as a question. I don't know the answer, but, you know, in the era of electric vehicles, will demand for biofuel to be put through internal combustion engines, will that be maintained? I don't know, but it's an interesting question. So look, I, I do think demand is probably the biggest worry out there. I think the supply obviously will depend on the weather. Um, but it will take a supply shock, I think, from somewhere. That's a very easy thing to say, you know, but but I think the supply needs a shock to give grain markets a lift because there's not there's no great buoyancy out there, you know. I mean we're talking about we're talking about grain, but like, you know, look at milk prices, look at pork prices. I mean, neither of which are very buoyant. And we can already see it in Ireland, you know, with dairy farmers drying off cows early this year and that there is a fall off already in, in feed demand. So like, you know, I think we have to be conscious who the buyers of this stuff are and, and you know, do these people, are these people making money? You know, we're also aware of, of you know, broiler producers, supermarkets coming back to broiler producers, looking for reduced uh, prices, tightening their margins such as they are significantly. Um, so it's a, it's a tough world out there and, and, I don't think you can be that bullish about prices based on the demand side of the equation. Can leave it at this in terms of a, in terms of maybe a positive from what I gathered from you earlier. There still is a nice differential between the current market's price and next season is in November twenty um, fours market, if you like. So there's a bit of a premium, if you like, there. So there, that's maybe something in a positive that farmers can have a look at, given everything you've said, and there's always an opportunity to forward sell some of the grain now for then. Yeah, and look, there's always risks in selling forward. Um, but I do think that, you know, having engaging with the market maybe and, and having more than a look at it, it actually might be something that's worth doing. Listen, Philip, that's brilliant. We're going to leave it at that. Um, it's you're, you're, You always come up with 
a lot of things to consider for, for everybody out there. And there's certainly a lot to consider because it's a big world out there and that's what we're dealing with. So listen, thanks very much for your time and uh, we'll have you back on the show again. Thank you. No problem, Michael. Take care. So that's all we've time for. And my thanks to Phelan for joining me on the podcast. Join me next week where I talk to Kieran Collins and Shay Phelan about the 2023 season and if there are any lessons to be learned from the year. So finally, don't forget if you enjoyed the podcast and recommend it to a friend or colleague, and as always, rate, review and follow on Apple or Spotify so you never miss an episode. And for more information, go to chargas.ie. I'm Michael Hennessy. Thanks for listening. I'll be back next week with more tillage news and advice.